Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of coming up with scary ideas that hopefully you haven't heard before. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, uh, Jonathan. So, so when did you come in, and what was your first interaction with TriTech? Uh, I think I've said it before, but. Uh, most of the blame lays on you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll own that. But okay, we'll go ahead and, and back the clock a little bit and, and ex- explain some of the context so you can explain how Bureau 13 was what called to me. Um, when I was a, uh, younger, much younger, a teenager, I was very nervous. I was very paranoia, uh, very anxious, very uh, superstitious child. Um always uh, afraid of the the aliens coming and abducting me in the middle of the night or the demons coming out uh, from under my bed and this even into an age where it was probably just a little bit too uh too old to be worrying about that kind of stuff so then about i think i I think i did the math in the past i think it was about 15 years old i went to the atlanta fantasy fair um because I was a huge geek, and by that point I had started playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the Red Book or the Red Box, the basic, and I think I'd even picked up a uh, second edition by that point. And I, I was going to the gaming room to play some D and D, but then I see this other game called Bureau Thirteen, and I think I read the description, it, it, something about hunting the paranormal. And I went, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I'll give that a peek. And it was being run by Bruce Sheffer. This maniac wearing an orange shirt. Bright orange. That said, Chaos Erupts, Bureau 13 is there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he gives us the the basic, uh, you know, premise of we're government agents hunting the supernatural. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. So I sit down for a game and it was, I even remember it was the adventure where the teenagers had and had crashed on a on a curve in the woods with a truck and something had crawled away from the crash site the curse of the baneful beast yes and i don't remember much beyond that i think i remember i don't remember specifics of that play session although i want to say i had a uh, I, I wanted to tie the uh, Carillion detector to my glasses so that I could maybe see the ghosts. That, that's all I remember. Okay. But nice. I had fun, and then that was the important part. I had fun. I had enjoyed the game. And so then later, I think that weekend, I went to, to Bruce's table in the exhibition hall and bought the game, if I remember correctly. Okay. Or convinced my mom to give me the money to buy the game. And... From there, it was like, I read that book cover to cover. I was looking through it all. and So you got the 1992 edition, right? That was the 1992 edition. And it was shortly after that that I, I, I kind of just kind of dove into, I think I found, I don't know, I think I found a, a an email list, I think it was at that point. It was the Yahoo group. Yeah, I got on the Yahoo group and I was reading all the posts and I was laughing when X Files came out, going, <laughs> and then uh, you know, a, a year or two later, I picked up Fringeworthy, and then years later, I was laughing when a certain movie came out about a astral portal, <laughs> and a lot of pyramids, and a lot of pyramids, and yeah. And I can actually say when I first saw that movie, I, I'm I'm sitting there going, "Oh, this is so Fringeworthy." Oh, this is. So Were you fr- actually playing Fringeworthy, or I hadn't had a chance to play it, but I had read it. I had the book. 
The only one I was playing about that, yeah, Bureau 13. Yeah. Um, so were was, you running it or were you playing in somebody else's game? I was running it for my friends in high school and then later college. Uh, we did try Fringeworthy every once in a while, but everybody was more interested in the hunting. But yeah, and uh, I think even in college, I I, I made up a, a, a small little web page where I put up some of my homebrew content for Bureau 13. And then at the same time, I'm also playing in this, every Dragon Con, I'm playing in this uh, live action role playing game called Dark Confrontation, which was very similar to Bureau 13. Uh, modern, paranormal, a little bit more tongue in cheek than Bureau 13. And so the years pass, I graduate college, and then my friends and I decide to buy the company that made Dark Confrontation. Ah! So that's how I became the artistic director for a LARP. And, and didn't have time to do any role-playing after that. <laughs> didn't have time to do anything else. Uh, that, is, so, that, that is the true irony of being a game designer. You know, yep. and, and I used to get on Richard's case about it. I said, have you actually ever played your games? <laughs> and he would give me this he'd give you that panda to Holka, you know uh you know arms across the chest looking down <laughs> down his nose at me i've seen that know. look yes and, and richard's a big guy so he could pull that off from a seated position yeah, uh, yeah. and uh yeah <laughs> i did actually get to meet him at one dragon con uh because one of the things i did to, to pay my way through dragon con was to run bureau 13 in the gaming room of usually about four sessions over the weekend small little one-shot affairs uh but i remember uh he had he had come down one year and was at you know the table with bruce in the ex exhibitors hall and so i got to meet him and bruce said oh yeah this is the kid who's running bureau 13 you know now up here like four times a week and, and Rich went, oh, and then just handed me a stack of the, the newly made DVDs. Oh, the CDs for... Yeah, the CDs for with all the rules, the PDF rules. Oh, yeah. like Bureau 13, Fringeworthy, and all, all the, the, the... Yeah, OGL all, stuff. all the supplements and things like that. Oh, you know, at yeah, that point, yeah, yeah. he had moved into publishing on, on PDF, which were on uh, CDs and DVDs. Yeah. Originally, they were CDs, you know, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, when we heard that I was I was running at a Dragon Con every year, he goes, "Oh, well, hold on," and he made me a little goodie bag of these oh, yeah. DVDs. Oh yeah, and as you said, Trav, they, they, Richard was famous for that. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, he he knew that you know the, the only thing he had was was grassroots. So anytime yeah. someone said, "I'm running this game," he's like, "Here, yes. <laughs> teach others to do it as well, and pass Spread on your word. knowledge <laughs> to many bad ones, you know, and such." Um, but then, yeah, and that kind of takes me takes me to today, roughly. Yeah, I joined the podcast. What? It's not what almost a couple three, years three, now. Yeah, three or four now at this point. Yeah. Uh, was it? Did he join episode uh, season ten opener? I'm it, not sure. Yeah, we'd have to look. But yeah. yeah. So, so uh, are you? This. So are you actually running uh, one of Richard's games now? I am. I am running. I just had a a first play of um bureau 13 using the cortex system which if it hasn't come out yet it w is another episode of the podcast we're talking about well by the time this drops probably it will probably be the one be right before. Before. yeah it'll probably be the episode right before this <laughs> probably yeah since i think we recorded it right before this uh, uh -huh. yeah it's um jonathan and bureau 13 with cortex and then edition wars i will be editing those in a couple of days so yes all right it might be two episodes before this but yeah so yeah, that's the uh, so yeah I'm running it now and it's one of the things I'm finding is interesting is like I've got to update all my knowledge because the last time I ran Bureau 13 was from the 92 edition, so oh, yeah. I still had oh old, yeah old tech by today's standards very old tech in my head and like yeah. oh, no. Yeah, and everything, and pretty much everything that you know, even though uh, now you know the the current owners of TriTac say that this podcast uh, is fanned, and it is fan, okay. But the fact is that Richard pretty much said that everything that we say, you know, is you know everything we publish, like the newsletters, uh, the the outpost game stuff, but also most of the stuff that was been on the podcast is actually. Um, 
Cannon. Yeah, he so, called. Yeah, he called me, John Bruce, and Blix the TriTac Brain Trust. Right. So Forbes, all the yeah. new development for you know for for Bureau Thirteen in the last ten years has come out of this podcast. So you got you know six hundred episodes to get caught up on, sir. Uh, yeah. No pressure, Jonathan. No pressure. <laughs> Oh, I was listening to it. <laughs> well, it it, it I is didn't catch all of them, but I've yeah, but it, I mean they, they you know they are identified, you know, yeah. so it's not like you have to actually listen to six hundred episodes, maybe a hundred. Just the ones to say beer thirteen. Yes, exactly, <laughs> or, or something beer. something similar. Yeah. So yeah, I'm hoping uh, eventually to get a fringe worthy campaign because I still want to do my 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 alternate start where oh, it's a private yeah. tech company funding it, but I got to find a good group for that. Um, maybe this, maybe once I get this D and D campaign going and under wraps, maybe I can convince them over to the, to the fringe worthy side. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Step through the portal. Yeah. We have cookies. Well, yeah. My, my campaign is kind of be going to, going to be a little sandboxy, you know, political development kind of campaign. So we'll see. But yeah, that uh, I've definitely I've been one of the things I think that kept me with Bureau 13 was and uh, this is why I mentioned my my nervousness as a child was because I fully believe that playing Bureau 13 helped ease my my anxiousness as a child. Uh, I felt a lot more comfortable because I'd had these instances of playing a hunter of the supernatural as opposed to my daily fear of being hunted by the supernatural. I think also, and I'm just going to put this out here, just a, you know, a straw you can grasp at. And if, if you do fine, that because you saw all of this as fiction, it helped between playing a demon hunter, you know, a hunter of the supernatural and the fact out of game, it's like, yeah, this is all fiction. It's yeah. All, and that yeah, it also helps. Yeah. like, as I got a little bit older, I also became a little bit more skeptical yeah. And and so that also helped was, you know, realize, okay, even if demons are real, ain't nobody seen one in the flesh in God knows how long, so I ain't got nothing to worry about. If aliens are real, they certainly ain't coming here. <laughs> so yeah. But I, I also credit Brother Dean because it, it, it allowed me an outlet for the mo- those fears. Okay, so I guess it's my turn. All right, so you know I, I I'm, you know, I, as, as this kind of saying goes, I'm the I'm the old man of the group as far as gaming is concerned, uh, because I was there at the beginning. Uh, I was there before Richard had published Fringeworthy, before he had published Bureau Thirteen. Uh, you know, I met him through other conventions, invited him to come over to my house for a convention, and he showed me some of the galleys of this upcoming project called Fringeworthy, which was very mysterious and, uh, you know, and, and you know, that made me want to, to learn more. Okay, but you see, back when I was playing, you know, there were not really very many games that really, you know, had the that were like really into the gestalt. Okay. I mean, everybody played D and D that was everybody's, you know, cut their teeth on. And then after that, there was no supernatural, modern supernatural games at all. Okay. I mean, supernatural was, was D and D or, you know, room, uh, you know, uh, room, whatever I can't, you know, all these other games that were fantasy based. Okay. Uh, and there were some science fiction games like Metaphors Alpha, uh, a little bit later Gamma World, things like that. But there were no modern day set in the modern day. Okay, uh, either, uh, and that's why Richard got a, a, an award for first interdimensional role playing game, first modern day supernatural role playing game. Uh, and, and and the only the only person who was close to it was. Um, uh, was called Cthulhu, uh, but it wasn't modern. It was back in the 20s, while this was in the 80s and 90s, a far cry difference th- than that. So yeah. that's why he, he got it. Okay, so, you know, so when I first heard about these things, okay, I was very intrigued to say, what is this? 
and how do you do this? Because I was a fledgling GM in D&D, and I was doing my very best to teach, basically teach myself how to be a good GM. And so when Richard had these new games, you know, one was a science fiction game about exploring the fringes of space and time, and I'm like, ooh, that sounds cool. What does that mean? Okay, you know, and then, and then this other game where... It was about modern-day supernatural occult investigation. And see, I was a huge fan of, of Night Stalker. And I was just like, how do you do that? So, and unfortunately, neither of those games were explained that. <laughs> didn't explain <laughs> how to be a good GM and how to write adventures and how to do any of that stuff. I had to pretty much learn that myself by doing it. All right, so, and the early games were, were quite a bit thinner than the later games. You know, the first game, I think, had like 40, the editions had like 40 pages, and they were printed on basically a Xerox machine. So, uh, you know, and, and using Zipatone, if you know, if anybody even knows what that is, you know, to, to do the grayscaling in some of the pictures, which made it almost impossible to photocopy, you know, turn charts into unreadable messes. But anyways, I could see, you know, so I was looking at, I could see that there was, this This was the ability for me to take my favorite science fiction stories that supposedly took place right now and actually do them if I wanted to do them or carry forward, you know, invent, you know, stories that were now ended because, you know, they went off the air or whatever, you know, but, you know, I did not really steal, you know, this other IP and put it into my Fringeworthy game. It was more like it was inspired. But anyway, so I had these two games and Fringeworthy was always the one that just, it just seemed like it had so much potential. And so, and the fact that um, you could go through a portal and you could be anywhere and you could do anything. And I didn't understand how to do the laws of physics you know, differently. And uh, I didn't know how to uh, you know, I, I wasn't a, a, a geopolitical major, so I didn't know how to create a whole new society. So, like a lot of times, those were kind of lifted out of stories, like you know, few, you know, a science fiction stories I read where it was you know, the government had gone this direction or that direction. You know, the classic, you know, the women are in charge and the men are treated as second class citizens. You know, I mean, all that kind of, you know, the aliens are around, but, and everybody kind of ignores them, but, you know, who's really in charge? Robots, you know, I mean, all that stuff, you know. And, and, and I found it just so enticing because there was so much potential to play of stuff, okay? But they didn't tell you how to run an adventure other than to be, it, you know, as we, and we, if you read, listen to the early adventures, early adventures the early episodes of the podcast I, I start off and i say fringe worthy it's not a travel log it's not about you basically telling look over there that bound mad candy corn and over there there's a you know a silver highway and it, it's not about the strange exotic setting even though that's important it's about conflict it's about story it's about characterization it's about you know these kinds of things and that's something i had to learn on my own and you know and you know it, it's uh, i never became a writer was one of the things i wanted to do but um you know in a way all the adventures that i've run over the years has been a form of writing so you know that that kept me interested. I was more interested in Fringeworthy, but it was so hard to run it because it's like I said, it, no one really explains to you how to run an adventure in an alien world. But I've learned now, and which is one of the reasons why we've done the podcast was to teach people who are listening how to play this game effectively and have fun at it. Okay, now Pure Thirteen was a lot easier. I mean, there's a monster. You, you you have to figure out where it where it's hiding, who's protecting it, what its powers are, and how to stop it. Okay, much more concrete, and I think that's why Richards. I I, th I always thought that Bureau Thirteen was his flagship game, even though I, I think he, he he saw Fringeworthy as his flagship game. But as far as sales were concerned, I always thought that 
Mirror 13 was. And and so it was really, it, it was easy to make an adventure for it because you could just pick a location and you could just put something in it and you could, you know, draw a simple map and put a couple of weirdo characters and, um, and you know, and, and let the agents go in there and start investigating and unraveling the, uh, you know, the, basically all this, you know, all the lies and finding the truth. And once the truth came out, then they were able to take action. Sometimes it was to rescue the supernatural and take it off someplace where it could live safely. Sometimes it was to destroy the supernatural. More often than not, destroy the supernatural. Come on, I was a... You know, I was a child, you know, uh, of the, you know, of the 80s and such. So, yeah, you know, we Saturday morning cartoons had not gone to the let's all be friends, you know, <laughs> uh, with Mr. T and his buddies and Captain, you know, and Captain Planet yet. So, you know, it was still pretty much let's take it, let's, let's, we find the supernatural and let's take it out. And there was a ton, an absolute ton of really crappy but fun to watch horror movies that could be mined like crazy for ideas in the in those days. Okay, you know, and uh, there, I mean, video stores had just come out. You could go down there and just rent these things, walk through. Wrote hundreds and hundreds of titles and look at them and say, "Hey, that looks like something that'd be fun to do." And you take it and you could steal, you know, the idea. But the point was that you had a, a much more accessible uh, uh, body of of knowledge uh, of, of adventure and story ideas and things like that because of how horror had come around, you know, and such, you know, and. Uh, and people were interested, so they, it was easy to find people to play. So, you know, so I was very much enticed by the idea of being able to run, you know, an investigation and find the bad guy and put him down, you know, especially with high-tech, super high-tech weapons, you know, uh, you know, stun, you know, uh, uh, stun bullets and, and uh, gas jets and ele electric cattle prods, you know, and... Uh, and, und and and just like Jonathan, you know, um, I was all, you know, I was the one who started, you know, most of the Yahoo groups. Okay, you know, I was originally doing it on uh, AOL when AOL had their own little groups, you know, in there, um, and we would we would just banter information back and forth. John Ryer was we we were always doing it, and uh, and one of the things that really I loved was. Uh, because Fringeworthy was so super high tech, we would argue for weeks, okay, about how something worked, how it could work, you know, and 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 come up with all these wild, outlandish ideas that weren't they weren't like you know they were science fiction, but they weren't like you know supernatural. Supernatural was another group that, that people had all kinds of ideas, but so. The idea of being able to build equipment and uh, come up with these these crazy um, ideas about how things could could work together in Frisbury kept me going because I've always been gadget oriented myself. So the gadgets you could come up with in Frisbury, the, the gadgets that you use, the James Bond aspect uh, with all the gadgetry from the Q section is what really enticed me in the uh, um, uh, Bureau 13. But I also loved putting the clues out and, and and letting them follow the clues and on and and reveal the story reveal and I use that also in Frisbury you know how to create story points how to lead people along to find the next clue the next whatever you know that was something that was you know to me the the fun part of the game because I was always the GM I was, you know, I wasn't the player. The only time I got to play was when I went to a convention that Richard was at, and I would play in his game. And usually, about 15 minutes into a scenario, I already knew <laughs> what was going on, and he would just shake his finger at me and say, "Not a word, Bruce." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What?" You know. So, anyways, so you know, fast forward, you know, um, 30 years. <laughs> You know, many, many campaigns, 
Uh, most uh, I've had many, many campaigns of Bureau 13, Fringeworthy. This is before I got really involved in the, the, uh, the podcast where I actually started running Richard's games just to see how well they ran, you know, just so I could we could review them on the podcast and such. Um, you know, the, the, the only game, uh, and, and I have, I have run, um, let's see, I, I, uh, I, I have run Beast Bunny Bimbas with Blasters. I never run, ran Duck Trooper. I ran Fringeworthy to death. I ran Bureau 13 to death. I, I, I tried Incursion, but I, I didn't, I, I just, that didn't resonate for me. I did FTL because at the time it was the only thing. Really, because I tried to do Traveler, and it just I could the, the the system was too was too opaque. If you thought the TriTech system was opaque, folks, he says you know the early version of Traveler was just like what? How do you do that? Oh, oh, the fact that you can die in a you die in character generation. Yeah, that 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 I ignored because <laughs> it's like you know I. Uh, frankly, every time I did it, and if I if I if it said I died in character generation, I just stopped there. I said no, I didn't die, but I'm not going to go any further. I'm not going to keep rolling for more stuff. You know, no, I I that to me that was ridiculous to go through all that effort and say, oh, your character died. So yeah, though I have been guilty, guilty as charged of being you know a bad GM of killing players. You know, basically not having it in for the players, but also not cutting them any slack when they needed it. You yeah. Know, I mean, I've done it. I, you know, we all have evolved as GMs, you know, so, yeah. Uh, but I, a, a lot of my players, uh, I was at a college settings for a long time. And so they came from the college and so they would age, they would graduate and go off to other parts of the country and other, other lives and such. And so I've gone through many, many different groups over the years. And uh, the group I have currently, um, two of the players I've had for like 20 years. Okay. And everybody else I've had like maybe a year, two years at the moment. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, so that's, that's just always been the way it was. And, 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 and the things I loved about the game are still there, you know, but what I found though is is that the the group that I I have has evolved into a different group. They're not the uh, if I was to pick people to be in my group, none of the players I have now would I pick. Okay, uh, it's you know because they're casual, they're casual players. They they they're basically there. As to socialize with each other and, uh, yeah. and, to crack, and to crack jokes and and throw and throw uh, uh, memes from Facebook into the chat window of Skype yeah. and stuff like that, you know. So and and I, you know, and and I'm going to say right now that's perfectly fine. Okay, it's just not my jam. Yeah. All right. So, uh, but as a result, um, get. Writing an adventure with teeth is 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 impossible, because they they're not you know they they don't know how to run an adventure and they and they're not going to learn, you know they don't you know ninety uh, percent of the NPCs I create they never either they don't talk to them or they never even ask their names, you know it's it's you know it, it has to be very very light so a game like you know, like D and D, where you just basically you go into a, a room, the GM throws the monsters take the, at take you. In the door, kill the monster, take the treasure. Basically, these guys want to play Munchkin. Munchkin, yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, if we ran Fringeworthy as Munchkin, it probably would be more fun for them. Okay, so, anyways, so uh, so recently, my Bureau Thirteen campaign ended uh, because. Um, uh, and I'll take the blame for this. I basically put them up against a challenge that was too great for them. Uh, oh, yeah. They uh, it, and it was funny because uh, it was a throwaway. The, the adventure started as a throwaway adventure. They were um, they were doing something, and uh, they were trying to track down some vampires. Uh, where these vampires were going, whatever, and stop the vampires. All right, you know, and 
they got uh, they got into a plane. They chartered a plane in Greenland, as and they're flying along trying to get ahead of this boat with all these vampires on it. They're heading north, and and they start asking them questions like, you know, hey, has anything really weird ever happened on one of your flights and things like that? And the guy turns, the pilot turns around and says, well, funny you should say that because there's a friend of mine who says that he was going along and suddenly these ghosts just came out of nowhere and started messing with him. And uh, and I hear that that that, you know, that that's actually happening a lot. And, you know, uh, so, but, you know, it could just be, you know, he's pulling everybody's leg and winning bar bets. But anyways, so totally unrelated to the adventure. So when they get back, they finish up the adventure, they go back to the bureau and they say, hey, we heard this rumor that this was going on. Is there any truth to it? And the bureau's like, well, funny, you should ask. Because obviously they wanted to do that adventure, so I said, "All right." So they they do this adventure. They where it turns out that there is these spirit-like creatures that are basically going into planes, and we're talking about commercial planes that are flying across the Atlantic, and they're basically going inside, and uh, they can't be recorded on on. Um, cameras or things like that they're going inside they're getting into people's heads they're asking for this person that they're looking for have you seen them do you know where this person is we're trying to find them you know the time is right you know the stars are right stuff like that and they're all like and then when they leave they basically erase everybody's memories and so, and and the pilot comes back awake again he's still flying across the Atlantic on autopilot just he's lost like a half hour of time you know the, the 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 you know the people are yelling saying hey flight so and so are you are you ever going to answer you know we're gonna we're gonna find you for this buddy and or you know lady or whatever and so they go and they 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 go on that adventure and they end up finding themselves up in the uh, uh, Aurora Borealis, where all these creatures are, okay, and see, this is all information that has been revealed in earlier adventures in the campaign, long time ago, and they're not picking up any of it. They're not remembering any of it, okay? And they basically said, yes, we're looking for this character named Pahama, or Bahama, Pahana, and it's he's he disappeared you know, he was he was uh, through this black door, you know, and he was taken. He was abducted, and we need him back. He's, you know, and we're gonna and and we don't know where he is, so we're gonna keep looking for him, you know, because we can't go. We don't know, you know, and, and sooner or later we're gonna find him. And uh, you know, meanwhile they're, they're gonna be more trouble. They're gonna cause trouble. So the bureau, the agents say, no problem. Tell you what, we'll go through the black door and find him and bring him back for you. So they do. Long story, we're cutting over. They find him, you know, and they bring him back. And he comes back through the, and all this time, I'm like, surely somebody is going to look this guy up on the internet. Surely they're going to figure out who he is and what it means when he comes back. And they're all like, no, they don't. So he comes back and he says, my people, the fourth world has ended. The fifth world has begun. He's Bahana, the guy who's supposed to cause basically the end of the world and the start of the new um, a Native American age of, 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 of prosperity. Ah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, and so he goes and, and he basically reaches out with his hand. And then I says, as he's reaching out, he says, you see a really huge hand coming down toward the earth. Okay. Like toward the pole. It looks like his hand. But it's like, of course, you know, the size, you know, not the size of the earth, but a chunk of the earth, you know, like 10 percent, 10 percent the width of the earth. 
okay? And it comes down, and it goes down into the, into the earth. He's reaching down into the earth. <laughs> and then he pulls it back out again, you know? Uh, actually, he says, you see him twist his hand, and he pulls his hand back out again. And they're all like, you know, and then like a minute, less than a minute later, all their electronic equipment goes dead because a massive EMP pulse has just fried everything on the planet. Because what he did was he reached into the core and twisted the core and accelerated it. And you take magnetic core and twist it through yeah. the magnetics, you create an EMP. And then, of course, that because he, he, he spun up the core, it caused heating. That causes fracturing and expansion. And a little time after that, suddenly the entire world is racked with earthquakes. All and sorts every, of tectonic activity. Yeah. yeah. And everything that is not a Native, a, a Native American location. And I, and, and I also did include things like uh, Australian, Aboriginal, and all those different places. Yeah. Okay. Those are under his protection. They're fine. Nothing happened there. Okay. Every place else is leveled. I mean, roads are not connected anymore. You know, cities are flattened. Everything is essentially gone. So basically, you turned your Bureau 13 Earth that you've probably been running games on now for decades. 40 years. Yeah. A post-apocalyptic setting. It's a post-apocalyptic setting. Wow. And the last thing I told them was they tried to reach the Bureau, okay, and, uh, and they said, attempting time travel, please come home. And that's... And that's the last message they got from the Bureau before their equipment all fried out. Oh. And, and at which point I said, well, guys, I'm not prepared to run, this, uh, run another adventure in this world. So campaign over. Wow. <laughs> so my Tuesdays are now free. <laughs> I said, Your guy, you guys are welcome to run your own Bureau 13 game. So uh, they thought about it a little bit and decided to run Traveler instead. Okay. All right, then. And I'm, you know, I, I you know, I, if, if I, you know, if I run another, you know, Bureau 13 game, which I probably will, but, you know, I may not do it with this group. And I certainly, it's not going to be a continuation of a 40 year long campaign that I've been running up till now, because I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the past that nobody but me knew about and nobody but me cared about. So, you know, carrying all that forward was always a problem. So it's, it's, uh, there's times when it's nice to start over as you know, trap. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but I'm still running my uh, Fringeworthy game on Mondays. Now, because I'm not running uh, Bureau 13 on Tuesdays, I was running Fringeworthy every other week. Now I'm going to running, I'm running it every week. So we'll see. It's the same group of people, though. So, you know, we're still having it, you know, have the same issues of I'm going to have to make it really light, you know, because yeah. they're, 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 they're not interested in, in doing the, uh, the heavy lifting that we as gamers started out with, you know? Yeah. You know, we, we, we thought, you know, we thought that of course there's going to be a mystery to solve and puzzles to unravel and people to, you know, interrogate the information out of and, and there's going to be red herrings and there's going to be, you know, stuff like that and stuff that it happened five, five adventures ago is going to come back to bite us. You know, we expected that, you know, but a lot of the modern gamers are just looking for uh, something really uh, more. It's more something to do while they're doing their socialization. Yeah, yeah. It and it it's we're not bad mouthing them for that's what they do. Yeah, it's. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying, but for someone who's used to doing it a certain way, I found myself, you know, being very frustrated by it. You know, and and I, you know, and I'm not saying I can't do those other things, but I mean, there's no point in me, you know, carrying a huge load of, of of background, you know, stuff, when, you know, simpler would be better. Yeah. So, so like I say, I'm I'm still running an adventure. Uh, 
the French Ray Adventure, which uh, is taking place someplace I can't talk about because one of my players does listen to the podcast. Uh, but um, anyways, they're uh, uh, they're they're uh, they're busy. Um, since you've have played um, have played the uh, Hardwire Hinterland, and you know who the Gana- uh, the Ash Ganache are. The I.I. Garnash, yes, I am. I.I. Garnash, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, I'm oh, using yeah. them as a bunch of tribesmen uh, who are protecting the mountain of iron bones that they have to get ten toasters from in order to complete a quest. Ah. <laughs> oh, no, I... I... I, I've used the I, I Garnash in my campaign. That was one of the first, maybe third or fourth session. They went to the Boneyard, and yeah, oh no, they had their. It, it was nothing light. They they took some lumps. They got out of there, but they took some lumps. Yeah, well, they took some real lumps because they basically all clustered together in one small spot and and did some things that the that the that the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, I am small race <laughs> that's not that's not their actual name that's how their name is mispronounced by the people who are not them okay. I am small um, and uh, they uh, they basically stayed all in one spot there and they kept observing and so the, the basically the, the you know after ticking them off they said they went back to where they had just a ton of um, built because they have all this stuff to work from. Uh, they built all these siege weapons, and they fired this, <laughs> these you know spear spear long arrows, you know, in in a huge mass, and they just come flopping down around them, doing three d ten damage each. And they're like, they all they, they, they all got pin cushioned. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Nobody nobody died from that because of some things, but I'm just saying is that that's they had to retreat about a mile, and now they have to decide what they're going to do next. Okay. So, anyways, but like I said, I have to keep it light, you know. Yes. And um, I, I did, I did give them a little smacking around. Hopefully, now they'll they'll follow it up with with some uh, some some other stuff, you know. Anyways, uh, but the uh, that's that's what's going on in Fringeworthy. <laughs> so it's just kind of like you know my and uh, that's my my current group. So uh, I figured that uh, at some point. You know, one of the reasons I'm also doing this is because uh, I'm. We are planning on moving out of state. Uh, it's some ah. sometime, and when we do, obviously, you know, we are playing on Skype. They could theoretically still play with us, but I'm I'm thinking that we may find ourselves different people to play with once we uh, yeah, move to the yeah, new state. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Just wanted to you know cr- make it you know. Make the parting as easy as possible. Yeah. If, you know, if that's the way it goes. But like I said, right now, you know, I'm, you know, uh, we're still doing everything on Skype because there's still a pandemic going on. Yeah. So, um, so we're just still doing what we're doing. So anyways, uh, but yeah, the, the things, uh, um, you know, the, the things that I love about Fringeworthy and, and Bureau 13 are still there. I'm just finding it really hard to find people that, that like those things. That I that I got that made me the most interested in the beginning, so I'm always happy to hear you doing so well, Trav, and you, Jonathan, you know, with your new players, and I hope you, uh, uh, you know, continue to be successful. I've been listening to a lot of old uh, episodes lately to just get and you know to and from work. For like, you just want to hear the sound of your own voice. No, I am doing so, dear, to be a better podcaster, a better game master, and hopefully even do my show better because I will present myself in a more fluid form. She's like, it's ego. Just sit down. I'm like, no, I'm actually trying to find stuff to run the games, dear. Yeah. You know, sometimes I listen to old podcasts and I said, hey, that was a really good idea I had. I'd totally forgotten about that. So you you can actually inform yourself. By listening to to old podcasts, some some of your great ideas that you'd you'd forgotten. Yeah, I just we I just got done with a two parter about uh, adding pop culture to our games, and now I've just started uh, Bureau Thirteen in the Forties. There you go. So yeah. Uh, 
No, as always, I got you know I can pick your brain for stuff if there's things I do need to know. So sure, sure, we have each other's number. Yeah, that's uh, right, that's <laughs> right. You know where to find me. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, and and Jonathan is actually only a two-hour drive away. Oh wow, actually probably a little bit less if I speed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Who drives the speed limit? There's suggestions up here in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I generally only drive, you know, uh, I drive nearly near the speed limit, okay? And I look at all the cars going by, like, you know, just, you know, you know knocking the doors off my car. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, there, it, there, there was a time you'd say, well, they must have a, uh, 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 you know, they, they must have a, you know, a, a radar detector so they know where all the cop cars are. And then later on it was, well, they're on a CB radio and all the truckers are telling them where all the cop cars are. Now, you know, there's all these apps on your phone that basically you, whenever you see a police car, someone goes and types it in and says there's a police yes. road stop. So, you know, it's all, it's, uh, folks, you know, it's all on your phone. It's like, you know, we, we've taken so much gear that used to be separate gear in, in Bureau 13 and Frisworthy. It's, all on, the phone now. it's yeah. all on the phone now. Yeah. I, I, all our curling detectors are on the phone. Uh, so, you know, um, voice recognition, uh, yep. voice uh, 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 translators, uh, you, know, for, you know, from one language to another. Uh, of course, GPS. Uh, anything that's really available, you know, on the uh, super uh, on the supercomputer in the RV, you know, the, uh, is easily transferable to your phone, uh, you know, uh, in Bureau 13. So it's like, you know, don't lose your phone, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the one thing that I always hate is is that the I have one player who always says, "Hey, has there been other supernatural instances in this area in the past?" And I'm like. Oh, why didn't I think about that ahead of time? Because <laughs> I knew he was going to ask that question. It's one of the advantages of Fridworthy. They don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, and you're like, uh, oh yeah, there's this there's this family of vampires that live out on, in, you know, in, in, in a converted, uh, uh, converted iron mine, you know, out, uh, in, in this out of town somewhere, you know. Oh, let's go visit them. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, guys, the adventure is over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, they're they're gonna go visit. They're gonna go visit the vampire family, and of course, you know, cause a supernatural incident because you know, everyone, you know, they're they're always they're 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 not gonna think that anybody who knows what they are is is a friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, even if you say you're from the bureau, it, since since we have the. Uh, uh, Oh, uh, since we have the shadow works, uh, the word has gotten out that there are people who pose as Bureau 13 agents who yeah, are out to kill yeah, them. Yeah. So, you, you know, you can't just say, wave your badge and say, hi, Bureau 13, we're your friends. Sure you are. Okay, well, thanks everybody for listening to us. And, uh, uh, and again, we hope you play these games that we've been talking about. Uh, and not just listen to a bunch of uh, uh, of guys uh, nerding about the, 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 the games that they play. Uh, uh, gaming is a way of life. It's not a hobby, at least for some of us. And some of the uh, uh, and, and if you love a book, you know there, there's got it, there's a game system out there that'll let you bring it alive. And the story never need, needs to end because you can continue it. Which is why I got into role playing in the first place was because I wanted to be able to keep playing stories that I loved. So, turned out that wasn't so easy to do, but it's you know, got me into role playing. <laughs> but you can do it because there's now you know, I mean my gosh, you know the uh, the uh, we have such a paucity of. Uh, we're, we're just poppers when it comes to all this genre stuff. Nobody does any any uh, television shows about vampires or werewolves or uh, ghosts or uh, aliens or time travelers or 
all those things. Nobody does stories about them. It's so hard to write adventures when nobody writes anything has a has a television show about any of those things. Well, they they exist. They're just half the time they're reboots of. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm being yeah. ironic. I'm being ironic here. Uh, sorry, you know, <laughs> Jonathan. There's tons of it. There's tons of the stuff out there. It's so easy for a fledgling GM to just just take a couple of ideas that they 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 saw. You know, just go to Google and say episode guide and just see the synopsis of some of the yeah. episodes. Bam, you got your next your next adventure. You got your next you know thing and and then flesh it out from there. I mean, the hard all the heavy lifting has already been done as far as that's getting started. And everybody always tells me it's getting started is the hard part. Okay, but uh, and then after that, it's just how much you know, how much uh, flavor do you want to bring in? How much flavor do your players care about? Anyways, we, I've already you know I've already talked about that. So thanks for listening to us. You know, thanks for uh, 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 being part of the podcast family, and we'll have more for you next week. But you have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.